My career sucks. Sex just isn't the same. What's my purpose? Where did this fat come from? My relationship is killing me. I'll never be happy. My debt is piling up. I'll never find love. Why can't I be like other gay guys? Hey guys, it's time to get a grip, stop whining, make a bold move, and do something amazing with your 40-plus gay life. Let's get to the show with your tell-it-like-it-is host, Rick Clemens, who does his best to never act like a dick or a diva unless you act like one first. So as gay men over 40, some of you, not all of you, but some of you, and probably a bigger majority of you than you might think, actually have kids. They could be from a previous marriage in a heterosexual relationship, or you made that beautiful decision when you met your guy to like, hey, we want to start a family, whether that's through surrogacy or adoption or whatever it may be. And this all is like exciting. It's great and everything. And like us, the kids grow up, they get older. And then one day it's very empty around the house. You kind of don't know what to do with yourself. You kind of look forward to it because you want them to get out and to go do their own thing. And then you're like, what do I do? Well, what I do when I have these kind of thoughts, and this was not my thought. This was my guest thought who's been on my podcast numerous times. He's a good buddy of mine, Elliot Cronenfeld. Check him out. You can find him everywhere. He's written great books. One of his books is called Couples by Intention. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. He's also an author in other spaces. He's a professor. He's a dad. He's just, he's doing all sorts of stuff. But he sent me a message and said, Rick, I think you need to do a show on this. And I'm like, okay, you got it, buddy. Because Elliot, what does it feel like when suddenly there they go? They are out going out into the world and the house gets very quiet. So, well, you know, it does get really quiet. And, you know, um, so I have a, this large clinical practice and I talk to people with kids all the time and I remind them, you know, the whole purpose of having kids is to get them to leave, um, which seems Amen. almost sort of we've worked so hard to get our kids into our lives, but the goal is to actually get them to leave. Right. Because if they don't, you know, if they're 35 years old sleeping on our couch with their Hello Kitty sheets and their action figures, we <laughs> failed, right? We, we didn't yes. do a good job. Well, we um, failed ourselves. That's what we did for dang sure. And we sure <laughs> the hell failed them, right? So Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so, you know, my kids, I, people say, how many kids do you have? I'm like, I don't have kids. I have adults. Right. Uh, a fundamental shift in my brain that every time I say it, it still shocks me. Um, I have mm -hmm. adult kids anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, they, and the thing is, is adult kids, they're, they're not really kids, but there's adult problems that they still come to you with, Right. It's just oh, the problems sure. that they come with you are like, okay, well, oh yeah, I guess I kind of remember when I was there. So it's a never ending continuum. But you know, what's interesting about it, Rick, when they come to us as adults, they don't want the same kind of help. They don't want the same kind of mm -mm. Uh, involvement. And one of the hard lessons that I had to learn was how to be there for my adults in a new way. So I had to redefine myself when my, when my kids became adults and they matured and they grew up, I had to grow up and mature in a way that I hadn't accounted for. Yeah. And it was, it was unsettling. It was shocking. Um, you know, and part of this, I was putting together um, a, a bunch of things around this, trying to figure out 
Like, how do we do this? And what does empty nesting actually mean for us as gay men? Yep. Because uh, it's not exactly the same as, I think, what empty nesting means for other people. Mm-mm. No. So, as gay men, we don't have intergenerational models. Right. Not like straight. I mean, straight people, they have many generations that came before them that lived their lives, you know, relatively similarly. But, you know innovation along the way you know as gay men our entire gay culture dramatically shifts every 10 years yep uh so that we can't lean back to what happened 10 years ago because it's so different you know and if we take that lineage from really that pre-liberation gay community to where we are now in the 2020s um, and if you're listening to this in 2050, it'll all make sense. Back right. Then. It all makes um, sense. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, we don't have models for what uh, aging gay parents or aging gay couples always looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, um, nursing homes don't have models for what managing gay married couples looks like. And, nope. you know, when we look at the maturation process of, of gay couples, we were just so excited to be able to get married and, and get divorced. Like right, that was exactly right <laughs> to get married and to get divorced like everybody else. Um, but the gay aging as a couple, the gay aging as parents, we're really the first generation to do it so openly. Um, we don't have the intergenerational models to teach us how to do it or what to expect or Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, well, there's just there's so many nuances to it, right? Sure. You know, as we as I was thinking about this, and you know, all my listeners know my kids are biologically mine from my previous heterosexual marriage, but George has been in their lives since well, since our youngest one was 18 months old. So all she knows is dad and George, right? Now here she is, 24 years old. But then I I start to think about all these other things that as you age, like okay you know, if one of us goes first, I mean, I've had two strokes. So the likelihood of me going first is pretty high, but it's like, okay, well then what happens like in the care of that space, you know, where does that all play out with him and the kids? And then what if he were to go, where does that all play out with the girls being involved with him? Does his family, there's just so many interesting dynamics that, as you said, we don't have those who marched before us in that generational way to say, Oh yeah, here's how you did this. Kind of like nobody taught us how to date in high school or anything because we didn't have gay dating models at that time. So it's just all interesting stuff. It's so fascinating. I went to dinner with my son last night. My son is 22, about to turn 23. Uh, He's applying to med school, which as a father, just totally fries my brain. Um, You know, and we were at dinner last night and we were talking about my health. Right. Uh, I recently have gone through some shifts in my health, all for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've gotten significantly healthier. And, you know, as I start to age and I'm not, you know, grinding through parenthood anymore, I'm like, it's time to really focus in on me. And that included a real focus on my health. And, you know, talking about that with him and his interest as he's getting ready to go to med school. And that there was a comment made where he's like, you know, I want to respect your boundaries. And, you know, he's practicing being a doctor, of course. Right, right. right. I said, but, you know, Michael, there's a point where you and your sister 
you have to know what's going on in our health. You have to know because at yep. some point you're going to have to make decisions and we may not be able to inform you. So you need to know what's going on in our health. And I noticed that was the moment that there was a shift in our relationship. There was a mm -hmm. shift in our relationship. And I think that that was the second significant shift that I noticed. The first significant shift happened about three years ago. Um, again, my son and I were out to dinner and he had a pair of Converse on that were quite frankly, as beat up as they could be. And we were going out to dinner and the Converse store was right in the same little area. And I said, Michael, let's go and I'll get you a new pair of Converse. He's like, no doubt I got it. I'm like, Michael, your shoes, they're torn up, they're beat up. You need a new pair of sneakers. He's like, dad, I got it. So we go to dinner and Michael, I always want to play poker with Michael because everything is on his face. And so the waitress comes, she takes our order. I said, all right, Michael, what's up? And he said, all right. You know, when I call you dad, I'm like, yeah. He said, I want you to know that that is just an honorific. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, first of all, good use of the word honorific. I was really proud of it, right? Good language. He goes, no, dad, not a time for jokes. I want you to know that when I call you dad, it's an honorific. Mm -hmm. It's no longer your job. And I was like blown away in that moment that he actually felt strong enough to tell me to stop parenting him. He's like, wow. Yeah, right? I, wow. I was like, so in one hand, I was so proud of him and I was so excited that you know, he's turning into this adult and he really wants to be an adult. And on the other hand, I was devastated and sad. It was a very emotional moment for me. Um, and one I hadn't prepared myself for. And we got through it. And of course, I ended up paying for dinner that night. So see how that works. I think that's the job. <laughs> the honorific of dad means I still get to pay for dinner. Um, right. <laughs> um, but he, he was very clear that he was firing me from my job. That's a big thing. And it's a big adult step too. It's like, hey, I'm good. And it, it's something that I found, we all go through it to some degree. How we say it is the other thing, but there is a releasing, yeah. you know? Well, and the fact that he was so direct about it, you know, as gay men, right? We fight so hard to have our kids. Um, if we have them as openly gay men, if we have our kids because we were married to a woman before we go through a lot of struggle about how do we keep them in our lives through a divorce process, depending on how messy that divorce is. But as gay men, how we parent as gay men, we're really the first generation that's gone through it from early childhood through adulthood. Um, and to release them into the wilds of the world um as gay men because we fought so hard to have these kids and we had to fight socially so hard just to be their father yep um in ways that straight men didn't have to we had to justify our experience we had to dig our nails and our heels and um just to be their parents and then to all of a sudden be told that that's not our job anymore it's no longer our identity it's a transition that straight guys don't have to do and it hit me. Very so few hard. do. 
I mean, there's some straight guys who, you know, their exes will say, you're done, you're out, but it doesn't matter. You're still that child's parent. It's a little bit different when you adopt or surrogate and, and then suddenly here's this new transition. You know, I'm at a little bit of an advantage because yes, my kids are biological. So I've had the, the quote hetero experience and the gay experience. But even through that, I remember Elliot, when my ex, you know, threatened me with, I'm going to take those girls away from you and you'll never see them again. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Knife, knife to my heart right there. Right. Of course that was an empty threat because I'm like, <laughs> she couldn't manage without him. She couldn't manage without me. She didn't have the wherewithal or the finances or anything to make that happen. But, but it is an interesting dilemma. You know, as you were talking through that whole story, it brought up something that just recently happened with me and my parents. So my mom is just, she's just, yay, marching through breast cancer right now, going, everything's going really well. And not long after she had told us she was in this journey and then was having some treatments done, we decided, you know what, let, we, let's go see him. We hadn't seen him in a while. Let's go visit. And so I'm texting her like the week before about something and I didn't hear back from her, which isn't uncommon. Right. But then the next morning when I hadn't heard back from her, I'm like, okay, something is, something's gotta be going on. And she goes, Oh, sorry. We just got really busy yesterday afternoon. Cause dad had to go to the hospital cause he had a stroke. Of course, I'm just like, really? And when were you going to tell us this right now? I'm not overly concerned cause he's had strokes before or a stroke before, but it was one of those moments where it's like, okay, it's kind of like she was releasing me to have to worry about this stuff. But then as her child, I'm going, wait, we have to have a conversation about this stuff, which to your point, what I did then is went back to my kids and said, I need you to know that if I ever pull this shit with you, you have every right to call me on the carpet for this because it's that right. generational thing where you learn something from the situation that happened. Right. You know, and I told my kids, I said, I will never hide something from you about my health unless I feel like it's not yet time to reveal it only because there's not enough information, you know? And it's just those interesting things, how your son's like, okay, you can be done. Right. But you know, I what's interesting all... about what's interesting about your story is that I may be done with parenting, but it requires him now to step up in a new way, which is what exactly. you're saying. Exactly. And like I said to my son at dinner last night, you need to know about my health because at some point you're going to have to make choices and decisions. And I think as gay men, because we have had, especially gay men of our generation, right? Yep, yep. Um, we have had a coming out experience. We have had a life experience where we have had to have really intimate personal conversations with so many people. Um, and having lived through the AIDS crisis and so many other socio-political issues, we are more used to having these types of conversations about things that are vulnerable, things that are uncomfortable, and advocating for ourselves. I think in a way that a lot of men in the straight community don't have to, because they sit in that position of privilege in ways. Mm -hmm. um, when we empty nest we do change our relationship with our kids yep. um, because I also believe we have raised our kids with a sense of advocacy. We have raised our kids because they have to, yes. right? When you go to school with gay parents, you have to be raised with a sense of advocacy. You have to be raised with a sense of, we talk about complicated things. 
And so now that we're empty nesting, not only do I have to get fired from my job as dad, as parent, (laughs) um, and I have to help in new and innovative ways. Now my job is to help him unpack and leave him to his own decision making. Mm -hmm. Yep. But it also means that I show up for him with a vulnerability that my father never showed up for me with. And I don't think it's because I learned that lesson from my father, as much as it is that I learned it over the course of my life as being a gay man and having to be vulnerable, having hard conversations that are intimate. If that makes sense. It makes complete sense because it's interesting. It all comes down to conversations and communication every step of the way, you know, and, uh, you know, as a therapist, psychologist, all this stuff that you have. And as a coach, I'm like, everything that shows up, it really comes down to communication. If it's about you and your partner, about sex or relationships or money or whatever, it's about communication. If it's about your kids and how they show up at school and advocate, it's about communication. If it's about work relationship, it's about communication. I mean, even selling a product, it's about communication. And I think if we really embrace this as humans and back to when the emptiness starts to happen, I was a freaking mess when this first started happening. When my daughter went to college, my oldest daughter went to college, my youngest daughter started high school and I turned 50 all in the same month. Elliot, I had never had an issue with turning any age whatsoever. Not a bit. 30, 35, 40, 45. None of those, you know, kind of where a lot of people hit the block walls, right? And for whatever reason, man, I hit it and I hit it hard. I was a mess. I remember because I had a conversation at this time and you even put it up on social media. You were very open about it. And one of the things that I really appreciated about that experience you had is you showed a real vulnerability um, mm-hmm. Wow, that you and I have gone back a long way. Um, we have. I just realized that too. <laughs> that's ten. Um, that's ten years ago now, man. That's ten because wow. I just turned sixty. So we, I, I was like trying to figure out how long have we known each other. Well, I guess we just figured that one out. So right. Um, and one of the things I so appreciated about what you did there is that you, again, you were able to have this more open, vulnerable conversation. Um, and, and I think that, again, goes back to who we are as gay men. We we get in touch with those and we know that we have to express. We have to. I, I, in, in your story, you just talked about that whole piece. And I think yeah. it's so important. But I also think it's important as parents. So I'm going to go the broader umbrella of parents to express so that we can teach our kids how you navigate through this stuff. But as gay men, I feel like the expression of us expressing these feelings helps our children, boys or girls or wherever they fall on the spectrum, to realize the power of expression. Because there's this thing about men don't do this, right? Well, we all know that you don't have to be gay to express, but it's much more, most gay men are much more expressive. And then there's gay men that aren't. And that's okay, too. But it, there is a piece of gay men, regardless, and I will argue this with anybody who says, I'm not one of those gay guys who have to be vulnerable. And I'm like, bullshit, buddy. <laughs> you just showed some vulnerability right there. But yeah. but I feel like this is kind of the blueprint. Like if I can show my kids and then God bless, I get to see some grandchildren before you know I say adios. I feel like I will have helped the planet 
because it's such a vital lesson to teach. You know, it's so interesting. Um, and, and I know this is more about the empty nesting than it is about the parenting. Um, I, I don't believe everybody wants kids or needs to have kids or should have kids. Right. I know there are a lot of people that want to have them and can't have them. And I have a real appreciation for that and the, the pain that goes with that. Um, I have been fortunate and gifted to have two children that I've been able to raise uh, a man and a woman mm. and to have the experience of being able to, to do that, to, to, as a gay man, to be able to really understand what it means to, to influence, to lift up, to message to frame what a healthy man looks like and what a healthy woman looks like and how they engage in the world has been one of the greatest gifts of my life based on my value structure. Yep. And what I'm fine. And I know you feel the same way about your daughters. You talk about it frequently. Um, having that drive and that mission uh, reduced in my day-to-day -day life has left this void where I am trying to figure out what do I do? So my husband and I um, had to make a whole plan. We we moved out of state. We moved to a whole nother state Yep. Um, and had to talk about recreating ourselves and what does that look like and how will we redefine ourselves? Mm -hmm. And I find myself paying attention to things and wanting things and being curious about things that I never considered before because I was so dialed in yeah. on my kids, my marriage and my career that those, that was the perfect trifecta and mm -hmm. there was not room for much else. Yep. And my career is solid. I don't have to worry about that too much and doing well. My marriage is great. I still always have to work on it because that's what marriage is. Yep. But there was this, my kids have been replaced by me. Mm -hmm. yep. Um, and I, I wish I hadn't sacrificed myself so much, uh, in the parenting, um, you know, and I hope as we leave in a generational model for the generation of gay men and gay parents that come after us, I hope that's one of the lessons they learn is, you know, because you're gay parents and you have to go through these extraordinary steps to get your children, you also don't have to overinvest. No. Um, to the point where you lose yourself. Um, and I hope that's one of the intergenerational models that you and I get to lead. You yeah. can still be a really great parent and love your kids and raise great, healthy kids and not lose yourself so that the empty nesting isn't such a shock. But you know, this, this <clears throat> overgiving thing is such an interesting dynamic to observe because you, as you know, and the listeners know, I work with a lot of, you know, men coming out of the closet in midlife. This thing shows up so heavily in those situations for darn sure, because they've such overgiven to protect their truth that then their spouses, number one, expect this from them. Then their kids expect this from them. And then suddenly you're actually mirroring to spouses and children that this is how you do life. You overgive, you overgive, you overgive. And then you probably have raised some of those. And I see this in, in one of my daughters, like she just, she doesn't want to rock the boat. And I'm like, it's okay to rock the boat. It is actually okay to not overgive. It's okay to not do what everybody else expects. And it's a really tough thing to break because I have struggled with that probably the 
most in my life is that piece. And now well, you know, I, new- I, I learned how to catch myself when I'm starting to do it because I say, what is it you're trying to get out of this? What is it you're trying to achieve by doing this that you're wanting back in return that maybe that person, that situation isn't going to give you back? I've learned to put that little question mark first so that I can go, wait, what's why am I doing this? And if I do want to do it, then go do it with the right intention, not like, oh, I want this back in return because I can go from loving over giver to bitching heels in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. I gave you this and you didn't do this for me, bitch, you know? And that's a big thing to learn. And my youngest one has learned this really well. I've watched her go through her own stuff and like, wow. So I love that there is that imprint that started to show up where where we could show her this. But it's still a work in progress. The work you do is really important, Greg. Um, And the reason why you've had some staying power, right? Is because there's a name for this. It's called good guy syndrome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, men are so socialized. We go back to things like script theory um, and based on whatever intersectionality you come from, where, um, you know, the work we do as men and in relationship, we get ourselves into so much trouble. Um, I did this amazing research study uh, with men who, quite frankly, had fractures in their relationship. And part of the study is I asked them, what. Well, you know, what relationship role models did you have? What did you think your job was? And what's really interesting is every single man in the study gave me the same answer. Um, And most of them even used the same words. Hmm. And they said that they had four basic jobs in the relationship. To provide, to fix, to stabilize, and to fuck. And if I'm doing really well on the first three, everything is good. But if I don't get to be a good sex partner, if sex is declining, it means that I'm not doing a great job in the first three roles. But what that means is good guy syndrome means that I show up for everybody else. And if I'm trying to provide income, housing, all of that, I'm trying to fix everything from the broken toaster to the car to whatever it is. And stabilize, meaning nobody has to be upset. Everybody is calm. Just yep. all of the boats equal. Um, there's nothing in there about me. No, nothing mm-hmm. in there. Not one man said that my relationship job is to be curious, to evolve, to be self-aware. Like all of the things that we want a really evolved man to be. None of the men could name any of that as a relationship responsibility. Wow. Um, And so instead, we enter relationships as men, straight men, gay men, queer men, men of all types, um, with this sense of these scripts that we've been given since childhood, that we're supposed to do this. And what happens is we don't get back the things that we want, the things that we need, because we don't know how to ask for them. And so instead, we try to strong arm it, we try to just grab it and pull it, but we're not working with our partner to make it a a relationship caring um, transaction. Mm-hmm. And so we either blow up our relationships by being an asshole yep. or we get resentful that we're not getting what we want and what we need, but we don't ask for it. Then we go off and do something stupid like have an infidelity. Yep. Yep. Right. So we or, turn on or, our- or start addictions, drinking, whatever it might be. And then, you know, gambling. yeah. Yeah, but turning in on ourselves and and doing those things. 
And so, you know, part of this is just as men, you're talking about how do we, and this is, I know you do a lot of this with your coaching. Um, Yeah, it's about addressing that good guy syndrome that I'm supposed to be of service to everybody else. And where is it for me? And what I'm finding, you know, in empty nesting, when I take away the responsibility I have to my children, not that I'm not irresponsible, my children now still have accountability in some ways, um, but the primary responsibility for parenting them, I'm realizing that even though I think I believe that I had a really healthy relationship with my children, and believe they would say that as well, yeah. that I had a healthy relationship with my husband, I did not have a healthy relationship to myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm in this business. I should right. know that. And, but I can't, but you can't see it until mm-hmm. you're out of it or until yep. something gives you a mirror to look back at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and empty nesting is one of those things as I think for everybody, but particularly for gay men, we start to look at ourselves and now thinking about, you know, what comes next. And as my husband and I go through the next phases of life and <clears throat> You know, 60s are great. I feel powerful. I feel strong. But yep. I also know 70s, 80s, and 90s are around the corner. And time goes that fast when you're this yep. age. Yep. I, I'm sitting right there. I'm I'm like really looking at stuff. You know, I, I still coach. I, I actually work for another company at this stage as their lead coach. I love what I get to do on both fronts. But there's that space of, okay, the kids aren't here. We're both very still successful in our right and our work. But I have seen that shift. So actually this is one of the shifts happened just last night. We went to a a wine pickup party at one of our wineries here. And it happens. It's so conveniently located, like literally right across the street from our house. So it's a little bit dangerous, but it's right there. And the gal, the husband and wife who own it, she's a florist. And I had gotten a notice that she's doing like a, you know, wine, make your own wreath sort of thing for the holidays. And I'm like, I love doing flower stuff. I love making flower arrangements. I love doing all this. I didn't think my husband would be interested. But as we were walking over there, I said, hey, Katie's doing this. And I I think I might want to do it because that sounds fun. We should do it. That was such a departure from who we would be, so to speak. Be like, no, we go do these things. These are the things we do. And I immediately jumped on it, Elliot, because I'm like, this is something different for us. Let's go do this together versus, oh, let's just go out to dinner or let's go, you know, whatever it is. Because I saw the beauty of here's another way of us going and being in our way, in our world, in a different way than this. Here's what we know how to do. We know how to raise the kids. We know how to do this. We know how to plan a vacation. We know da, da, da. And even on this most recent vacation that we just completed, one of the things that was so interesting to me was we both came off the, and it was a long trip. A lot of listeners already kind of know, but it was almost three weeks to Polynesia. We were on a ship for seven days. Seven days of all you do is look out at water. Yes, there's people and there's activities. I have to be honest. That was one of the things that we both got off the ship. And I said, do you feel like we grew closer over this three-week trip than we have been in a while? And he said, I do. Because we took away all the norms. There was no, okay, well, tonight we're going to sit down and watch TV because there really wasn't, there wasn't really anything to watch on TV, right? You're you're on a ship and it has TV, but that's going to matter. 
we were mixing and mingling and doing things. And I think these are the beautiful things that when this emptiness stuff starts to happen, give yourself permission to go explore and be curious. Uh, well, you know, that's one of my hot words, intention and curiosity. I love that. Um, you know, and I, I love that you're talking about this, about the transitioning and living life differently. Because the other thing that I'm noticing now, um, and part of it is because um, we've moved out of state and, yeah. uh, you know, we're now living up in a gunkwit, Maine. And, um, for all of your gay listeners out there, if you haven't been, this is the place you got to come. Mm. Um, it's extraordinary. Um, for so many years, I developed friends and social contacts um, through my kids' activities. You know, parents of classmates, parents of teammates, whatever their activity was. Um, and you kind of like get absorbed into your kids' lives and you make a lot of friends that way and it becomes your social network. Yep. So I come up here and I realize that it's time to make new friends and I can't rely on my kids' activities. And I realize, oh, I actually have to go out and build my own stuff. Um, and yep. I can't kind of just ride my kids' coattails. And I thought, so how do I, as an older gay man, Go out and build these networks. I mean, I can go hang out at the gay bar and, you know, talk to guys and meet people. Right, and, right. But how do I want to integrate myself into this world? Um, and so I really had to think about what are the things that I want to be connected with? And so I want to learn how to keep bees. I want to have an apiary. So I joined mm -hmm. the Beekeepers Association, um, which, of course, has my husband up in a tither. <laughs> and I'm fascinated by videos of guys like working on a lathe and turning wood and creating these amazing things. I'm like, I'm going to go learn how to turn wood and yeah, like yeah. things that I just would never have given myself permission to do when I was parenting. Mm -hmm. But it forces me to think about who am I? And it makes me go, quite frankly, brush off some dusty social skills Absolutely. that I haven't used in 20 years. Um because I relied on my kids for all of this. But it's also something interesting too, and this is gonna take us slightly off topic for just a moment, but I have so many gay men that I work with and in my groups and stuff that say, I just, I don't know how to create connections and make friends in the community. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's because guys, and I'm gonna go someplace that may push some buttons. It's because as you just said, you have to dust off some social skills. We got so accustomed for so long, like the only way you can make friends is to go to the gay bars, right? Do you have to go be everything that's gay, gay, gay? One of the best things I ever did was I stopped doing everything that was gay, gay, gay and go, okay, I'm going to go volunteer at this. I'm going to go do this. Not that I don't want to support my community. That's not what I'm saying. But when I started like volunteering, well, okay, volunteering at a film fest, okay, there's a likelihood you're going to meet some gay people because who doesn't like films? A lot of gay people like films. Volunteering, you know, at a local theater to help out. Volunteering for some wine events. We have done all of these things since we moved here. We have made so many good friends that aren't, quote, gay, but so many good friends that are gay. I mean, we literally walked into the wine event last night, and there were three different sets of gay couples that we've known over the years that we've lived here, but we haven't seen them in ages. And then there was a whole bunch of straight couples that we knew from just, it's it's getting the dust off of the social skills and off of the things that you go, I can't do this because I have kids. I can't do this because I got to do this for the kids. 
I started swimming with a vengeance since we moved here. I love to swim. It's not something I ever did like quote professionally or competitive, but I'm so glad I've given myself permission to do that. My cycling, we both like to do that. George doesn't like to swim. So that's my thing. I go swim. We both cycle together, but we find these things that enable us to take the space of the empty nest and fill it back up. Sounds like there may be an Iron Man in your future. Mm, I doubt that. (laughs) (laughs) There could be, but it takes some doing. Trust me. Uh, It it would take some big doing. I've done done many marathons and stuff. I, I, I did a few big running events back in the day. And that's that it's funny that you say that because, you know, lately with all the health stuff that's been going on with me, I'm like, I think I should take up running again because I used to love it. Now, of course, it would help take some weight off, but it's like, okay, I'd have to start slow and work through it. But I think this is a beautiful piece of what we're talking about is when the nest begins to empty, find what you're going to fill it with. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder, you know, because I know that my experience is, you know, uh, a research project of one. Um, because even my husband has a very different experience of empty nesting. His experience is nothing like mine. Oh, I would uh, agree 100%. Right? I'm, you and George, you don't have yep. the same. Nope. You know, and part of it is, we're first of all, we're very different people. Our relationship to our kids was very different. And our relationship to ourselves is very different. We operate as very different people in the world. So it's really interesting for me to watch my husband go through the empty nesting process. Um, His approach, so different than mine. However, what I'm also noticing is that I don't talk to straight men about empty nesting. And I don't know why, um, because I certainly know enough of it. Mm. But I never think to ask them what their experience is, because I make these assumptions that um they don't care well or they're just on a track right like you know so many of them are just on a track they just keep going to work right Um, they just do this because this is what you're supposed to do as a man you do this you keep going and how how many of them were caught in gender roles if they were married to women and spent the last 20 25 30 years depending on how many kids they have just doing traditional gender roles and have participated in the parenting family models, the way gay parents do. And it's not a dig, it's not a slam, but they grow up in a different world. And, you know, I think there are a lot of really involved straight dads. This is not in any way to nope. defame them. I agree. But, but when they have certain gender roles or certain gender identities, and I know this because in my clinical practice, straight men who are gender non-conforming really struggle Mm. i'm not the breadwinner i am the stay-at-home dad and i really struggle with that i'm glad i have this time with my kids but it's super super hard i think they have a very different problem than we had yep um but it also tells me that their empty nesting journey is different than what i'm going to yep because they're solving different problems they are solving different problems completely different and but i think the beauty of the commonality is I do have a couple of friends who are those stay-at-home dads, straight guys. And we've had some of these conversations and we came to the conclusion, what you just said. They're like, well, we have similarity, but we're really kind of different in the journey. They're still contending with the societal, like kind of weird that you're like, you're the one who stays at home. Right. Whereas, okay. But 
just because you're a guy doesn't mean you can't do that. So then there's those weird assumptions like, are you sure you're not gay? <laughs> Actually, one of my friends says that he goes, people ask me all the time, are you sure you're not gay? Because you, you do all the stuff that your wife should be doing. Of course, he's He's a big guy. He's big like me. He's six foot. He's actually bigger than me. He's six foot five, probably 320 pounds. And he's like, do you think I look like I'm some wimpy little gay? He's kind of got a Boston accent and everything. So it's really interesting because I just love being with my kids. And I love that this worked out. And my wife likes working and I don't not like working, but hey, this is what worked for our family. And I think it's such an interesting space when you can start to see those societal things that flow onto all of us. But then the conversations that I've had got, I've had the privilege of having with him just open the eyes to, Ooh, I never saw that because it helps me see things differently and appreciate. I mean, I guess it's, you know, the big E word, the empathy thing shows up really heavily. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Mm. So what are you most enjoying before we wrap up here? Most enjoying about the empty nesting. Well, first of all, being in a gunk way, mm. it is, you know, my husband and I were having a hard time figuring out where we were going to empty nest. We were very clear we wanted to leave the Boston area mm. and we, but we didn't know where we were going to go. You know, I teach at a university in San Francisco. Maybe we go there, you know, maybe we go to DC, New York, who knows? And we were on vacation up here in a gunk where we would vacation every summer. And one of my oldest friends of 40 years lives here. And we were up visiting him and his husband. And I just looked at my husband, who usually does not make very quick decisions. I, I make decisions on the fly. I'm Boom. very fast. Yep. Um, he's, it can take him months to pick throw pillows. Um, and I just said to him, I said, we love it here. If we lived here, I would be so much calmer. Why don't we just live here? And he looked at me and said, okay. He had never agreed to anything that fast. And then three months later, we owned a house. And so one of the great things that I'm enjoying is being up here. But the second thing that I'm really, truly enjoying is exploring my adults with new eyes, without having to be responsible for them, without having to fix them, without having to explain them. And they taught me so much raising them. But what they're teaching me now is a new way to be curious and a new way to be intentional, which are two of my big buzzwords. And they are teaching me humility and honesty in ways that I never could have predicted. Um, And I am loving how their development as adults forces me to change. Mm. And damn, that's exciting. Mm Mm-hmm. It is an exciting thing. My kids help me see things as they always have helped me see things in a whole different way. But I would say now I'm more challenged to let it be and let them go and wait for them to say, what do you think? But even when they say, what do you think? I've learned to also say, well, this is just my perspective. Now, if there's something that I feel like, hey, this would probably help you, like, here, here's what I'd recommend, then I will say it that way. But I've learned, and it's been the hardest pill to swallow because my dad was not that kind of dad. This is how you do it. You're going to do it this way because this is what I, I mean, total narcissist. So that's all I have to say. Um, <laughs> I have really worked to ensure that that's not who I am. 
because the DNA is there, the patterning, yeah. the mirroring, all that's right there in front of me all the time. And to just be able to go, well, here's an idea or here's how I see things. Doesn't mean it's right. I'm just sharing my perspective. It's such a beautiful way to get to be a parent. Oh, it's amazing. My father died when I was young. So I never had a father emptiness. Mm. I never had the experience. I, I didn't even have anyone to tell me what was hard about it. You right. know, and so I went into this with not only no intergenerational models, but not even a parent model. Um, and for better or for worse. So I didn't have a good model, but I didn't have a right. bad model either. Right. Right. I didn't have any model. And so I feel like I've been flying by the seat of my pants and I've decided my children are going to be my teachers. And I like that fact. Yeah. Because there's a, a release of pressure, so to speak. It's like, okay, now you get to teach me. I'm still going to teach them. There's going to be moments, but you get to teach me. I mean, my youngest daughter has taught me more about just letting shit roll off my back. She just, yeah. she's had some tough times. And now when I watch her and observe her, I'm like, wow. My oldest, I mean, she just, I don't want to, you know, say she's not taught me other things. She's actually, my oldest has probably taught me the beauty of being more embracing to just accepting people as they are. And that's when you realize the student becomes a teacher, that, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So. Okay, Mr. Miyagi. <laughs> well, I think we've kind of been heading towards that path through this whole conversation, but. Yeah. I just want to, I just want to say, you know. I can't believe it's been over 10 years that we've known each other. That kind of shocked me in the middle of this podcast. Um, but I just want to say once again, Elliot, you just always bring your A game when we have these conversations and you allow people to like see the thought process and the vulnerability and the truth of who you are. And from the days of when we did the coming out lounge initially and then life uncloseted and now 40 plus this, I think the second time we've done this one too. I just yeah. appreciate you so much, man. Just so much. And thank yeah, you for Rick. putting this suggestion out there because I think I might've once thought, Oh, would it, would it be good to talk about what happens when the kids leave? And then something else came up and you know, there's always something in gay life that like, okay, well, let's talk about this. Right. But when you brought this up, it was the perfect timing, just the perfect timing, my friend. So, um, you know, so Rick, again. it's always a love fest talking to you, you know, cause I, I think the same thing, you know, you and I get on these calls and we talk like no time has passed. No, you know, I, no. I feel like, you know, it's just it talking to you is just the easiest thing. And I think that you and I, I just have this really great vibe. And I think that's what happens when you talk to men who have insight, who have done a lot of personal work, who have gotten themselves emotionally and mentally healthy and are grounded. Then we can have these kinds of conversations. Mm -hmm. And so I so appreciate not only what you bring to the community, but the work you've done for yourself, because that's what allows all of this to happen. And gang, we've never met each other. We literally have never <laughs> physically met each other. So that says that says a whole lot right there, too. Well, we were at one point, remember, because I was in California yep. and we were gonna yep. try and and it just never came yep. to be. But one but now day, that you, now, now that you've talked about Agonqua, I'm like, hmm, I actually while you've been talking, I'm like, I've got on, I'm like, oh, there's a picture of Agonqua at Christmas time. I'm like, that looks pretty cool. I mean, it, it reminds me a lot, just the pictures I've seen of P-Town. So I'll go there. There's a lot of similarity to P-Town, it looks like. But I think it's probably yes. even more quaint. It's, yeah, I I mean, because we were close to P-Town. We used to go to right, P-Town right. every day. 
Um, I like a gunkwit so much more. And I, I know this is a crazy thought. Um, we do have a guest room. Well, okay. <laughs> okay. I think that might be somewhere we could escape. So anyway. All right, my friend. Well, thank you again for just being you, sharing, raising beautiful kids, putting this energy out in the world. And more than anything, just contributing everything you've contributed to make the world a better place. So appreciate you, buddy. Same to you, my friend. That's a wrap for 40 plus gay men, gay talk, where size doesn't matter. We drop our bullshit, get over our screwed up fears, make bold moves and live life without apologies. Don't forget to join us on Facebook at 40 plus gay men, gay talk, where the conversations continue.